Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast, HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay, and my guest today is Cheryl Brewster, a reinvention specialist. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Cheryl. Um, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Susan. For our listeners who are expecting this to be a podcast on work different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. Kate Bravery will be joining us on the March podcast, not this month as originally anticipated. So hopefully you'll join in next month. But today we are very, very lucky to have Cheryl here. And she's going to talk to us about something that can so easily get in the way of our being able to present our very best, that of negativity bias. So Cheryl, I can't wait to dive in, but... First of all, I'd like to say a little bit about you, if, if you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. A transition specialist, a transformational speaker, a spiritual mentor. Cheryl inspires individuals and organizations keen to make a big difference in the world and to find the hidden treasure in challenge. Now, Cheryl's story is one of extraordinary trust and the ability to ride the waves of change. In 2004, she left a successful career in the corporate world to follow a calling. She, at that point, founded the Intuitive Life, and through that provides intuitive consultations, workshops, seminars, speaking and coaching programs. She works to foster empowered decision-making, encourages creativity, improved working relationships, and practical strategies for meaningful and creative solutions. Now, in 2010, a family health crisis plunged Cheryl deep into her own dark night of the soul, testing every ounce of her faith and her stamina. As a result, Cheryl discovered with the right mindset, severe challenges can be catalysts to both powerful and positive change. She's widely respected for her talents and abilities. She possesses a rare gift of inspiring the very best in both people and organizations, finding better outcomes, communication, connection, and resiliency. She has, over the course of her career, consulted and coached individuals, executives, leaders in social and business projects, company directors, naturopaths, entrepreneurs, the list goes on. Clients who work with Cheryl come away inspired, transformed, and fully committed to living the deeper meaning of their lives with increased clarity, confidence, and self-trust. And I know that that's certainly been my experience with her. I also know that she's a lifelong learner, and I know that she's currently working on her instructional diploma. And through that, she shared some research um, from one of the assignments that she's been doing. It certainly caught my attention. And so I asked her to join us and talk more about her learning and her insights. Starting with Cheryl, if we could, what is negativity bias? And then let's move to like jumping right in. Why is it so important for us to understand this? And what are some tools that we should be having in our toolkits to actually deal with it? So I am so excited to learn about this um, and to share that with our our listeners um over to you please <laughs> enough from me <laughs> well thank you so much for having me as a guest i appreciate the work that you're doing and really 
inspiring people in in working communities and you know just to to lead from their best selves so i think negativity bias is hugely important to understand because it, it does have a biological physical component that i think is easy to forget because you know if we look at negativity bias it's related to worry fear you know anxiety and 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 all those what i call the hairball of the soul emotions mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so what i appreciated in my research was the neuroscience behind what it is and and where it evolves from so basically scientists believe that we have a built-in negativity bias from, you know, the brain uh, is concerned, especially the, the left hemisphere of the brain is concerned with keeping the body safe. So it literally goes on overdrive. It, it's looking, looking for the threats to keep us safe. So if that's not kind of balanced out with the, the right-hand side of the brain, the creative side, the, you know, the side that sees the bigger picture, we can get ourselves into real trouble. So from the research that I found, it, a really good metaphor is to think of it this way that you know, we evolved over millions of years and we were dodging threats. So if you think of dodging sticks, uh, we were dodging threats and we were chasing food or chasing carrots. So mm -hmm. it's a lot more, uh, uh, it's more important to notice and react to and remember the threats or the sticks than it is you know, the comfort or the carrots. So in the tough environments our ancestors lived, they missed out on the carrot. Right. Mm -hmm. So we got in the habit of not noticing the carrots and instead focusing on these threats. And before you know it, whoa, uh, we have in our genetic DNA this this propensity to look for the negative and what you look for, you'll find. So negativity bias will show up in many ways in relationships. It usually now the stats are interesting. It usually takes five good interactions to make up for a single bad one. Wow. And what can happen in relationship, things can be going really well. And if you're not used to that, you will create, you will self-sabotage. So that's why I think it's so important that we really understand, um, you know, get to the bottom of this so that we don't keep creating these repeating patterns. So in business, uh, you know, people will work, work much harder to avoid losing a hundred dollars as opposed to making a hundred dollars. So we're kind of selling ourselves short by focusing on the negative and painful experiences are much more me memorable than um, pleasurable ones. So we kind of want to reverse that. And a good way of, of looking at negativity bias is that the brain is kind of pre-programmed to look for the negative and find it. It's, it's like Velcro. Mm -hmm. it, it finds it, it remembers it, it holds it fast. Whereas pleasurable experiences are like Teflon. Um, they just slide right off. It's like, yeah, okay, that was great. But we don't really take the time to go, wow, that was really good. So we can create these very negative self images, these stories we tell ourselves, and goals will come and go and we'll achieve the goal. But have we really grown? Or are we simply repeating the pattern of needing to prove ourselves? So I've certainly um, appreciated what I've learned about negativity bias because it creates awareness. When you have awareness, you have choice. Now, there's one more piece I want to add on negativity bias. When I researched it further, I came across a term that I just loved. It was called negative legacy emotions. And they used the example of cocaine on the brain, that irrational guilt, shame, and anxiety is kind of like a drug on the brain. It just totally takes you out of your your uh, prefrontal cortex where you make executive decision making and instead we get a cloudy mind where we're, we're not trusting ourselves we're feeling insecure that can that can really escalate and cause some real problems and we can see that in the workplace where uh, for example in the conflict resolution that I'm teaching right now it's like whoa like where did that come from right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. not understanding or appreciating that you know, someone in the workplace, um, if their knee-jerk reaction is not checked, there will be problems. So we want to be very aware of how we can handle those conflicts um, from the inside out, which is, okay, you know, what am I feeling, using mindfulness techniques, etc. So the nuts and bolts is that in order for us to really uh, work with this, uh, there's a real opportunity here, which I think is very exciting. So 
we take a look at these negative leg legacy emotions because they're irrational. And one of the terms that I found that I just loved is that um, these are prehistoric emotions and they have no place in our, our current lives. And so we have to create an absolute uncompromising rule to not take orders from irrational guilt, shame, and anxiety. So what that means is we need to create a habit of embedding optimism in the brain. So we can talk more about that, but for now, that's why it's, I think it's so important the more we know and understand, the more we can not take this quite so personally. When you know that there's a biology at play or a mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, you know, guilt is a pretty insidious emotion because you're trying to do better and be a, you know your best self and when you find you're not you, that unrefutable rule no i'm not going to listen to the voice mm -hmm. that wants to you know put me down mm -hmm. it's it's like this open and shut rule um like this door that slams says nope nope not allowed to enter so and this is where I think that we can really create opportunity by using the power of decision to make that rule and then to also make the rule that I am committed to living my best self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mistakes are a part of learning. So when we look for the learning, we have growth. But if we're not willing to do that, then we're going to stay stagnant. In fact, we're going to go down because we're designed to grow. And if we're not willing to, you know, to use this in a productive way, we're kind of, we're kind of toast. That makes so much sense. And I love the, um, the skeleton, the, the Velcro. I just, I think of performance reviews, you know, and how I don't know that people hear so many of the positives if there's something that's a growth opportunity and, and how, so frequently we perceive that as just a negative. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, and you're right, you're reaching the goals. I don't know that we pat ourselves about the milestones. We we do tend to focus on, you know, the things that went wrong. I mean, there's a, there's a positive about that because it's the, the learning and the uh, what could we do differently or better next time. But as you talk, and and what I love is is learning that this is all part of, this is part of like literally years and years and years and years of programming, and we really reflect that also within our school systems. You know, I know my dad caught the C, and the you know, good marks, and then you get a bad mark. Oh, what happened here? And so we do tend to reinforce that, but again, that would be natural because that's been our, our heritage. So what I'm hearing you say is that, um, yeah, it's natural that we'd be feeling this as negativity bias, but what we need to be paying attention to is catching ourselves doing it, recognizing where it's coming from, and then making a choice to do differently going forward. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So knowing that we're kind of pre-programmed, it's like, okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be aware that I don't have to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. When you shared with me a PowerPoint presentation for one of the classes that that you're doing, and you talked about the importance of reflection, and that's that's part of this catching yourself and recognizing is like I don't have to keep going down the same the same road with the, this stuff. Um, and you you referenced, uh, I don't know who Dewey is, but you talked about Dewey's four criteria for reflection. Um, and it's very much a self-awareness piece, probably of emotional intelligence as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about what are these four criteria that in that reflecting process we should be paying attention to? Absolutely. Uh, John Dewey was the probably the most influential figure in the past century in regards to education so he he's a it was, it was fascinating to research his life and basically the four criteria for reflection that he came up to is and the reason reflection is so important is that number one 
it creates a bridge of meaning. And so what it does is it, it helps us um, make continuity of learning possible. It ensures that progress. So we learn from our mistakes. So we, we keep moving forward or we learn, you know, Hey, that went really well. I'll do that again. So, so the first thing is, is it's the bridge of meaning. And when we find meaning, you know, that's, that's basically our values. It's, mm. it's come alive. It's what keeps us alive. So I really appreciated that as I did the research and did my own reflective writing practices for the class and then shared that PowerPoint, we, something that John Dewey said is that experiences don't transform us. It's reflecting on the experiences that transform. So from my own experience of working deeper with the reflective process, it's true. Like I was amazed and very grateful to go deeper into my own reflection because I found a lot of insight that I would have missed otherwise. So number one, the bridge of meeting. Number two, the reflection is systematic, rigorous, disciplined, and rooted in scientific inquiry. And I like that too, because it's literally about telling the truth to yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a courageous act, which ties into the scale of consciousness, which is a different matter, but the, the work of David Hawkins, where all the negative emotion that we're dealing with, as soon as we have courage, we rise up that scale of consciousness, we rise up that scale of emotion. And I think that really ties into this because even though you might have a really negative emotion that you're feeling, it's like, it's okay. This is part of evolution. This is part of growth. So it becomes a very empowered way of making true change in your life. So that's the second uh, criteria of reflective um, inquiry, which is that it's systematic, it's rigorous, it's disciplined. It's not this fluffy stuff. Uh, the third thing is that it needs, now this was fascinating. It needs to happen in community. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, uh, that I love that because you know me, I, I teach a lot of classes and mm -hmm. I'm all about everyone sharing. But so the third criteria is it needs to happen in community in interaction with others. And then the fourth one that, that ties into that is that it requires attitudes that value the personal and, and the intellectual growth of self and others. So fascinating, isn't it, that in order for true transformation to occur, you need to reflect on it and then you need to share it. So the community piece, because mm -hmm. that, that can be tough, especially if you're dealing with stuff that you're not feeling comfortable with. What, what might that look like in a work environment? Would that be with a colleague? Would that be... I guess it would be situational, but can you think of an example? Yeah, well, in a in a work environment, um, you know, and I think that this comes back to how we do anything is how we do everything, whether it's a person or an organization. So I think the first question is to uh, be aware, like, how am I feeling? Do I feel like I'm in a threatening situation? Uh, because our lens will color our perception. So in a work situation, it's okay. If I'm telling the truth to myself, then having the skill set to be able to communicate that truth to somebody else in a mutually respectful way. So this is where, you know, we have nonviolent communication. And we also, I think, have a piece of emotional intelligence here, which is to say, you don't know what's going on in someone's day. And remembering that negativity bias uh, kind of is a, is a real clue to how personally am I taking this? Do mm. I need to take this as personally as I am? And I think that's where we really get into trouble. I love the reminder too, that we really don't know what's happening in somebody else's world. Yeah. And um, yeah, all part of self-awareness. And I would think reflection would be one of the tools um, to deal with negativity bias. You talk about a number of other tools that are very helpful for people when they are uh, finding themselves in kind of that space. Yeah. Um, so what I did in my 
PowerPoint was put together okay. These are quick, fast, easy tools that have a scientific um, basis for them. They work based in science. So the first thing is to breathe. You know, and just that that breath, that those three breaths, just to slow down the physiology. Now, here's the interesting thing about negative emotion is that bang before you know it it's there like it's fast <laughs> so so a big part of reflection then is reviewing your day what went well what would you do differently and also to rehearse if that situation come happened again how would you handle it this time and that goes a long way in really supporting effective conflict resolution because at the end of the day you know, sure, people make mistakes, but we all make mistakes. And um, I think a great way of looking at how personally we take things is, you know, it often says more about us than it does the other person. Because you're in charge of your destiny, not somebody else. Mm, true. So, so catch yourself. Know that the negativity bias is going to be there. And course correct as fast as you can. And how do you do that? Number one, the breath. And number two, I love this exercise, letting the good in. So again, if we go back to positive, negative uh, bias and emotion, the other example to use is that when good things happen to you, it's kind of like water going through a sieve in the brain. It just goes right through. You're not noticing because you're not, our, our genetics are trained trained not to notice. Whereas if it's something negative, it's like a chunk of coal, it's in that sieve and it, it's a big one. And so, so the thing to do then is to take 10, 20, 30 seconds max, doesn't take long to let the good in. So to notice what was good about your life that day, and not only to notice it, but use that 10 or 20 seconds to just really breathe and, and savor it. Like even right now, we all did that and just went, yeah, that was good today. That did feel good today. <laughs> and it's incredibly fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, the science is saying do that six times a day. You're embedding positive. Um, uh, you're, you're embedding the good. You're noticing the good more, which means that your quality of your experience is increasing as well. So when you feel better, you're more optimistic, you're looking for the good, you're more creative, the prefrontal cortex is free, it's not bogged down, you have access to it, which is really important for decision-making. And you know, post-COVID, our whole worlds got changed upside down. We're still dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So just a reminder, hey, you know what you met, we all went through something big. And so it's like, again, it can be that knee jerk reaction where if you had something traumatic happen, you're, you're on guard, you're looking for it. And so you want you want to balance that out. And, and you also want to recognize that negativity bias will promote worry. And wor worry will promote a loss of trust in yourself and lead to those feelings of low self-esteem. And, and, and I think the big one too is, is we, we can fall into compromising ourselves and feeling incompetent. And, you know, back in the corporate world, I sure remember sitting at my desk, you know, I used to work with bills of material and sales and I'm, you know, worried about the formulas. Did I do the math right? And, and man, I'd be sitting there literally having a quiet panic attack, looking around to everyone else going, <laughs> how come they're so calm? I'm the only one, right? Well, you know, it's like, and so I, I did a real number on myself way back then. And, and it was needless mm -hmm. and painful, so painful. So it's like, okay, I appreciate that. Yes, we will go through pain. So let's give it a productive purpose so we can change the pattern we can transform that pattern we can evolve it we can grow it and i suspect as you say with this being all well 
uh, documented in scientific research now that the more you do something like that, where you catch yourself and you you take a look at the positive or you allow the positive in, that you really are building more neural transmitters or whatever they're called so that it becomes easier to do it with with practice. Exactly. And that's why it's so exciting because, I mean, we've been hearing about the neuroscience for years, what wires together, fires together. Uh, and the truth is, it's like, wow, okay, I am actually physically changing my brain by doing this. And so this, this rule where like, you know, what do I really want? Because the clearer we are, and, and that was a really interesting piece to discover in, in the research as well. Do we give ourselves permission to know what it is we really want? And, and part of the research that I did too, which is the next component, um, is the power of awe and wonder. I want to hear more about that. I just, I'd heard, um, instead of just saying, how was your day? what good happened to you today? You know, if we started to greet one another with, tell me something good that's happened to you. Or, you know, if you're a mom with your kids coming coming home from school, what good happened to you today? Instead of, you know, how was your day? Uh, again, would start to to build that muscle and, and to make that more natural. Um, and just, yeah, it just feels good even saying it. Okay. Okay, yeah. let, let's go to the wonder and awe. I'm getting excited. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? Wonder and awe are juicy. And it's like, who wouldn't want that? And and it's 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 our birthright. You know, as much as we're wired with the negativity bias, we're also wired for happiness and joy and peace of mind. And and I, I it's just a reminder that that they go together. And the wonder and the awe will put us back into um, you know, the balance of both sides of the brain. So the research on wonder and awe is, is, I mean, look at Einstein, imagination is more important than knowledge. When we go into the wonder and the awe, it reminds me of, you know, when you're a kid and you don't want to mow the lawn and, but if there's a good looking guy next door, it's like, yeah, I'll mow the lawn, right? <laughs> so it's like, suddenly we have the energy for it. And and, you know, that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about you and what you, you've always done in your career is, is look for, you know, where's, where's juice here? What's different? What's unique? Because as soon as we find that, that's what spurs learning because it's different. And that's the other side of the brain it, it, you know, the other side of the brain too, is it loves to learn. It loves to know what's new. So um, wonder and awe like using our imagination which is a part of transformational learning so that like I wonder I wonder what that would be like and yeah like I was playing with this today it's like huh if I was my future self right now what would I be doing and what would how would I be thinking and and the cool piece on that too uh, Benjamin Hardy, I love Benjamin Hardy for anyone out there who, you know, wants to um, kind of be up to the science of all of this too. He's a, he's a psychologist in, in behavior and management and all those good things. In his book, 10X is easier than 2X. He talks about, uh, you know, you define your past by the present. And, and I thought that was very good. We define our past by the present because the, the present, when you look back at your past, well, which way do you want to look at it? When you look at it from what did I learn? How did I grow? How different am I than I was before? It's like, it's huge. There's good stuff there, right? Mm -hmm. So the wonder and the awe is, well, well, look how much I've learned. Look how much I've grown. If I could do that way back then and with what I know now, like, anything is possible mm -hmm. what do I really want which gets us back into into desire wanting to do something for the sheer joy of it and when that is involved now I think we're talking okay things are happening now and that's where I think some of our great thought leaders some of our great inventors it's like let's let's have fun again 
Mm-hmm. You've mentioned mindfulness, and it really it is about stopping being in the moment. And I, I just I, I love that because you know, as as you're talking, I'm thinking of different places I've worked and just, you know, some have been happier experiences than others, but I've met phenomenal people. And I've had, you know, there there have been times where I got stretched, but because of that stretch, then doing that at the next organization wasn't such a challenge. So yes, looking back and and you know changing your perception of some of the things that um we would otherwise beat ourselves up over you know i could have done better you know just oh my goodness you know if i'd only had the experience that i have now when i tried to deal with that situation we're really good at beating ourselves up but that was all part of the learning experience and and why we are who we are today so um those you're right. Those are really important, and it uh, it does take it does take some time to just think, right? To instead of just be caught up in the the whirlwind of of your past, of, rec- of of spending some time and recognizing the absolute positives of those, and looking at them as positives. Exactly. Asking yourself what what can I learn from this? What's the value in this? And, you know, I think that's the, there's a real humility piece here, I think, that's important to talk about. Because when when we recognize there is something in our life that isn't working as well as we'd like it to, the humility piece is, is um, thank you for letting me know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You also um, talked about the use of metaphors and the importance of metaphors. Can you share a little bit more of that with our listeners? And what I'm saying you talked about is when Cheryl was talking to me before about some of the research that she was doing. Yeah, well, you know, and again, like, who knew? I <laughs> Some of these concepts are terms, you know, because we're they've been around for years, we, we forget the meaning of them uh, and we forget how powerful they are. So metaphors help the mind because the mind sees in pictures, not in words. So that's where, you know, Plato back in the day came up with the cave metaphor where, you know, you there's um, shadows on the cave and you're looking at, at the shadows on the cave and then you see the light and you're 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 scared to go out because of all this activity when you know it's it was just a shadow on on the cave wall so that's an example of a metaphor and um you know so the the research is that psychologists and neurologists both of them uh tell us that we use metaphors to make sense of our lives so kind of like reflection it's the meaning it's the bridge now the cool thing about metaphors is that they're absorbed directly by the subconscious mind and that's why for example, in the work with, with that I do with, with hypnosis is going straight into the unconscious mind. What I love about metaphor in teaching is this. Ask yourself, if there was a fairy tale or a myth that I'm living, which one would it be? What would I pick? And that'll take you straight into your unconscious. And then from there, you can explore the different characters in the myth or the story. I remember way back when, when I did this years ago, I... First thing that popped up was, you know, the the um, the ugly duckling, because that's how I felt at the time. I felt gawky. I felt awkward. And I think it's important to talk about this because in learning, there will always be the distressing dilemma. So so if we can reframe the distress that we feel with change, because the brain gets alerted because it's it likes patterns. And now you're in a situation that you've not been in before. So the brain gets fired up because it's looking for the pattern. So that's why these mindfulness techniques are so powerful because they take pre-existing information. You add, which is a pattern, you add some new information. And now you have a bigger viewpoint, Mm. greater vista, which means you have greater choice. And that's the power of metaphor. 
because it helps you see things differently and which ties into open mindset or learner's mindset and closed mindset. And I find this really fascinating. And I love, I love to know that if there's something in my life that I find limiting or restrictive or something that hurts, that I have the power to work with it. I do have the power to change it because that power is inside of me, but I may not be aware of it or I may have forgotten it because, you know, our power can be unconscious too and we're not consciously aware of it or using it. Mm -hmm. So now if we look at the pain of, you know, existential pain or whatever you want to call it, it's like, wait a minute. What if it's not so bad after all? What if it's just growth wanting to happen? What if I've outgrown myself and now it's time for something more? So, you know, there's one part of the brain that wants the comfort and the other part of the brain is going, yeah, let's go, man. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get this dilemma, right? This push-pull. So mm -hmm. the bottom line, and I love the work of, uh, of, of, um, Geez, her name escapes me right now. I'll give it to you for the show notes. But um, Dweck, Carol Dweck wrote a book on, on mindset and the difference between the two. And that in a closed mindset, it's like, and, and this is where the unconscious comes in. We don't even realize how, how closed we are. So when a difficult situation comes along, and this is where there's power in adversity, that if we can use adversity to grow from, it'll help us own our power in a way that really cuts to the chase. So the bigger picture in a learner's mindset goes, okay, I don't like what's happened, but you know what? I'm going to look for the good in it and I'm going to, I'm going to use it to grow. And the research has shown, especially with kids in school, uh, that when we have an open mindset, we get better and better at transforming closed mindset where even though it may be hard, we can, we can actually enjoy the process. We can have fun with it. So that's why I, I really appreciate um, what you're up to here with your podcast. Your podcast <laughs> is a demonstration of learner's mindset, right? I just love the, the fun part of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And if we can make learning fun, man, then, then we can make change fun. And that's, that's transformation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's wonderful. Hey, I'd also noted the word optimism and I think you kind of spoken of, of that, but um, anything else you wanted to share on optimism as part of the tool and the toolkit uh, when you're dealing with negative mindset or, or yeah, is, was that specifically about catching yourself and, and looking at, at, what else might be going on? Yeah, yeah. There's there's an important component here on optimism. And I, uh, again, in the research that I did, I found a study that they did, um, I think it was in the Netherlands, where they did an optimist intervention. And what they did was for two weeks, they had people really work with optimism. And, and they had imagery of what their future self in two weeks would look like. So the research uh, showed, and I mean, everyone felt better and they, they you know, did things that they maybe wouldn't have done in, in the two weeks. But what was interesting in the research was that the people who focused every day on the outcome of that future self that they were creating uh, actually did far more than just the people who, who um, used positive imagery on day-to-day on -day activities. Interesting. So I, I thought that was interesting. So Seligman, who was uh, the father of, uh, or the founder of positive psychology, had this to say, and I think it's worth repeating. You have to embed optimism in your brain through the power of non-negative thinking. So optimism is a choice and it can be taught as you know the research shows. And the reason why it's stressed is because it does change the brain and it's what keeps us healthy, you know, and all the research that they're doing with dementia in, in um, 
you know, the, the effect of the body, uh, our health, you know, it's, it's hugely important. And back in the day, I'll never forget, but I'm, I'm aging myself here, but Norman Vincent Peale saying, uh, he was talking about positive thinking. He's saying, look, don't think that this is Pollyannish. It takes grit, grit and courage and muscles to live this way. This, mm -hmm. is, this is a courageous path and an important one, because if we don't live it, then the very meaning of our lives gets lost. And at the end of the day, you know, it's like uh, that quote that goes, yeah, by the time I, I'm done, I want to skid with the dust and say, wow, what a ride. <laughs> And I think it's really important to be talking about this because there is just so much happening in our world that it, uh, yeah, it can take people out and to be cognizant of what's going on and having these tools to uh, to make the outcome different, to make our thinking process different is so important, so very important. I think particularly right now. I, I agree. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it reminds me that, you know, when we've had something hard happen, we can kind of knock the wind out of our sails, right? And so to catch ourselves and say, okay, and to recognize the signs, you know what, I, I, I need to look at this, I need to work with this. And because the joy does return. And it's it's a process of discovery and it is a process of decision and i i like to think of um i i like to think of all of these tools as as being um muscles and in one of the studies i found too susan was it was talking about reflection and it was saying how you know the the mind is like a muscle and the reflection is what replenishes it reflection is what gives it a rest and and kind of rejuvenates it and our brain is uh um uses up 20 percent of our energy that's a lot for a it two is. pound muscle mm -hmm. yeah it is that's a lot is. and so so that's why you know if you've been focused for a long period of time get up and um you know take a breather go get a breath of fresh air or my favorite and i love this and i had one of my <laughs> I have to tell you this story. <laughs> and one, one, one participant in a recent uh, um, uh, practicum that I was doing, and, you know, she just, she said, Cheryl, I just don't get it. I just, you know, I just don't get this stuff. And she says, how can you have so many happy people in your group? <laughs> and then I said, well, you know, uh, and she said, the homework is to dance. Are you kidding me? So, so I said, well, here's the research. Well, so you know what? She tried it and she just, it, that she came back to me later. She said that changed my life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, a lot of our listeners are people who have responsibility for other people. They oversee other people. So any thoughts on, you know, other than modeling this yourself, you know, as a leader, any thoughts on what somebody could do when they see that someone on their team perhaps is struggling with neg negativity bias or, mm -hmm. you know, some of what we've talked about today? Yeah, I think that especially with teams, a couple of things. Number one, you know, the 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 compassionate um, communication, which is, hey, you know, you're you're everything okay mm -hmm. you know just checking in everything okay you know to keep it factual and to also invite conversation so that you know at the end of the day it's always about connection so that would be my first response how's it going everything okay and you know just checking in and then my second response would be to introduce reflection into the workplace mm -hmm. In a study that they did out of India, Harvard Business did a study, and it was a call center, and they were having a hard time keeping staff. And so they they did a study, and they introduced the reflection piece, and one study group 
uh, reflected after training. They gave them time to reflect on the training. The second study group, not only did they reflect, it was written reflection and sharing. And then the third study group, there was no change. So in both groups that reflected, the one that did the written reflection and the sharing increased productivity by 25%. The wow. second the second group was just over, it was almost 23%. So between the two, 50% improvement in performance and in production. So I think this is a really valuable tool that is not utilized at all in the workplace. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, on another study that I researched, the executive said that what made the difference between being mediocre and being, you know, stellar was that reflection piece. So in the workplace, I think there's a real opportunity here to create something really exciting that only not only improves performance and efficiency in the bottom line, but improves the quality of people's experience. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, like, I mean, there's one boss that I had, his staff would have done anything for him. Mm -hmm. Because he, he, he not only modeled it, but he invited it from his mm -hmm. staff. And, you know, to this day, you know, I just, I'm very touched by this person who, uh, to me really represented true, true leadership. Wow. And turning to these tools and, situations of friendships or conversations with family members. Uh, any thoughts? I, I think I probably know the answer, but yeah. are, are they as applicable in sort of non-work situations where uh, you see somebody struggling? Absolutely. You know, we, we, we really don't know what's happening for someone. And, you know, I, th and especially I think, you know, as I get older and I, you know, I had some health stuff up come my, myself last year. And I remember going in to the day before surgery going, you know what? I, this could be the last time I do this. This could be the last time I am in this home. This could be my last car ride. And this is where I think slowing things down is really important. And there's a false perception out there. And I know that I've experienced this in my life. Oh, I got to get this done. I got to do this, got to do that. And it's like, no, no, no. You, you actually don't. <laughs> what's most important? It goes back to that 80-20 rule. What's most important? Am I living my life that way? And again, there's courage involved. And the currency, I think, is trust and faith. And really slowing down to say, am, am I taking care of what's most important? Using that rigorous scientific inquiry, tell the truth. No, I'm not. Okay. It feels a lot better when I do then I'm in integrity. Then you know what, the day that comes when I'm not on this planet anymore, I'll know that I could have left this earth doing everything that I could have to contribute to myself and to others. And I, I said to a client today, she wanted, you know, she's going through a lot of transition, doesn't know what to do. And I said to her, and she said, the one thing she, she realized and she wanted was she wanted to do good in the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, in order for you to be, to do good in the world, you have to do good to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I sure believe that. Yeah. So yeah, this is whether it's personal or professional, it's the bottom line is wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. And a huge piece of leadership, whether it be small L or, or big L leadership. I want to, before we, we bring the podcast to a close, talk a little bit more about the term that you use, transformational learning, and why this is such an important piece um, of all of what we've talked about. 
you talked a little bit about it, but just any yeah. any other nuggets? Yeah, the I guess the one nugget that really stands out for me is that transformational learning will always start out with a distressing dilemma. And we get so, lots of those in our lives. Because we get so much of them. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is this is a this is a signal of growth, right? <laughs> I like that part. So the the you know, and there's many different um theories and models out there. The the one that I was studying was was Mazarow's um transformational and it was basically 10 phases and i love the first two phases that yes there's going to be a distressing dilemma and you know it's like that's okay it's like oh can we remember that you know what part of part of being distressed is it's a biofeedback signal saying hey you know what you know get get back get back to your core get back to your core yeah it's, it's okay the second phase is again the reflection piece, and then from there, there's there's this progression. So transformational learning is being able to look at the pattern in your life, recognize that you have been spiraling up with it, and also recognizing how much further along than you were, like five years ago, ten years ago, and that you've accomplished and grown perhaps much more than you've given yourself credit for. So take those 20 seconds of letting the good in. And that gives you more space so that in the next thing it is you have to do, you're bringing the, the appreciation of life into it. And I think if we all did that more, imagine the amount of conflict that would simply dissolve literally immediately and that's the other part of transformational learning that i like is that it offers immediate emotional relief and as soon as we have that then the courage to do the things perhaps that we've been avoiding is there or the insight or the clarity makes a lot of the smoke out yeah Dif diffuses yeah and it sounds like you're starting from a different base too you know, exactly. just the next time something comes along, then you're, as you say, building the muscle, better able to handle it. And all of that is being observed by all the people in your life. Yes. And, you know, I, I, uh, I got a Valentine from someone today and, uh, you know, I have to tell you this story just quickly. I know we're probably out of time here, but, you know, she shared with me that she had been considering taking her life and she had come to one of my workshops. It was the first workshop in intuition I'd ever done. And I was as nervous as heck, I tell you. <laughs> and she told me years later, you know, because, uh, there was something you said in that workshop and I realized I didn't have to make that, that decision. Wow. So she sent me a Valentine just in, you know, connection and appreciation and and you know here was my reflective learning from that experience was even though I felt that you know it was my first presentation I was nervous I could have done things differently just the fact that I showed up made a big change in someone's life mm -hmm. and I and, and I I this recent experience of taking these courses you know what? It really brought it. It slowed me down to remind me, Cheryl, where are you being too hard on yourself? Where are you trying to do too much? Where are you not keeping things simple? And where are you not bringing the, the, the quality of life that you really, really want to live? So I think we all need these reminders. And just because someone looks happy dappy doesn't mean they're not going through stuff and doesn't mean... You know, we are constantly growing. So let us grow with hope, with optimism. And most of all, let us grow with grace. Because at the end of the day, we're all doing our best. Life is precious. Life is short. Let's appreciate ourselves because then we appreciate each other. And now we can make magic happen because... 
the awe and the wonder of life, that's what we're all here for. So to bring that into our workday. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yep, yep. Woohoo! On and... Valentine's, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then so it's just absolutely so important um, that we talk about this and we share the learning and we share the tools and we talk about um, what we're seeing in other people, using gentle language, um, watching for those opportunities. And that this we do something to stop the the potential that negativity bias uh, has on who we are. And um, I, I've seen it take people out. And um, I've also watched you. And you've had a number of challenges that, that uh, you have presented themselves. And I have watched you use these tools. So it was really cool to watch you then see the, learn the science behind all of what you, you know, I know from watching you uh, that the tools work. And I, I know from watching you work with your clients, how effective these tools are. Uh, so, so appreciate you saying yes to my request to come and talk to all of us. And me too, because I'm, I'm a lifelong learner as well and always learning from you. Um, and thank you to our listeners for uh, also being interested in being transformational learners and doing something with these negative Nellies that that uh, often get in our way and create havoc in our lives. Uh, that we know we can do something about these. Cheryl, you have uh, referenced a number of great resources um, through your sharing with us. I will make sure that I get that information from Dewey and uh, some of the other ones that you've uh, talked about uh, to put on the show notes for the podcast. And yes, 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 I will put your contact information if anyone wants to get in touch with you and learn more about who you are and the incredible programs that uh, that you offer through the Intuitive Life. Um, any last thoughts before we bring the podcast to a close? Yes. I appreciate the lifelong learning, uh, and for anyone listening to this podcast, uh, you know, I, I think we're, um, we're a tribe mm -hmm. and, uh, one of the books actually I borrowed from you on you theory is said that, you know, it only takes five committed people to change the world, just five. And each one of us have an opportunity. We all have ideas. It's like, what if we all created these little pods of, of five and got together and, and just decided, this is what's important. This is what makes me, you know, come alive. This is what I want to do. And as lifelong learners, as we just, you know, support each other and, and imagine what we can all do. And so... I would just encourage anyone out there listening to this, you know, there's a, there's a synchronicity of this particular episode at this particular time. It's uh, it's giving you a sign. Listen. Hmm. And love, love, love. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a better singing voice than I do. Uh, I just think it's close to Valentine's day and yeah, it, it really is. It's, <laughs> it's so important. And there you go, the community again, um, yeah. small groups and the power of working within small groups. So, um, yeah, great. Thank you. That, and it is so much fun because I've been in some of your small groups and I, I, and I don't want to go too far into the, the story, but somebody had said, be the person that you imagine yourself to be five years from now, and then have a conversation with, and you put us into a zoom room. This, I, I remember so the conversation and you and I did in it. We had such fun. You know, remember when you talked about being, you know, having been written that book on resilience, um, wasn't that fun? And you were so concerned you would never look at you today and truly being that person five years, whatever your time frame is. And geez, it was fun. And it felt so empowering. And we need to be having fun with this stuff because, as you've shared with us so eloquently today, 
it changes the brain. And the research proves that it has its huge benefits. So, Cheryl, thank you. And to our listeners, have some fun with this. Get those journals out. Take those breaths. Uh, make sure you take that time for reflection. And um, let us know how it goes as you deal with your own negativity biases and and uh, nipping those in the bud before they, they do uh, further damage. It is time for us to bring this podcast to a close. Um, Cheryl and I believe in each one of you that by using these tools, you truly will be able to soar higher because we both believe that you can, right? I see Cheryl nodding her head because we're recording this and I can see her. It's like, just believe in yourselves, soar high, because we both believe you can. Cheryl, thank you for making the time to be with, with us here today. Um, you're awesome as always. It is Cheryl and Susan signing out. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. And thanks for listening and supporting this podcast series. Take care, everyone. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review on whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.